Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, June 14th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. The full story of the man who was swallowed by a humpback whale on Friday and lived to tell the tale. Calories. Who's responsible for their inclusion in the world of nutrition? Some weird highlights from the history of this controversial measurement. And the growing need for a bill of neuro-rights. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. You might have seen the buzz over the weekend about a real-life Jonah who survived being swallowed whole by a humpback whale. Well, not so much swallowed as kind of stuck in the whale's mouth and knocked down again. It's an unbelievable story of literally biblical proportions, so of course there's been a lot of misconceptions and skepticism swirling around. So I thought I'd take a minute to dig into the story and clear up some facts. So first, the basics. Quoting Cape Cod Times, the first to break the story. At a little before 8 a.m. on Friday, veteran lobster diver Michael Packard entered the water for his second dive of the day. His vessel, the John Jay, was off Herring Cove Beach and surrounded by a fleet of boats catching striped bass. The water temperature was a balmy 60 degrees and the visibility about 20 feet. Licensed commercial lobster divers literally pluck lobsters off the sandy bottom, and as Packard, 56, dove down Friday morning, he saw schools of sand lances and stripers swimming by. The ocean food chain was in full evidence, but about 10 feet from the bottom, Packard suddenly knew what it truly felt like to be a part of that chain. End quote. This is when Packard all of a sudden found himself in complete darkness. But let's switch to the perspective of his fishing partner, Josiah Mayo, who was watching from their boat, quoting the Washington Post. The bubbles from Packard's underwater breathing gear suddenly stopped. Then, an explosion of white water erupted from the sea. Mayo wasn't sure what he was witnessing. A burly fish thrashed before him, and for a split second, he thought it was a great white shark. Then, Mayo saw its flukes cut through the water and observed it violently shake its head. 
This was a humpback whale, Mayo 43 told himself as he recounted in an interview with the Washington Post. It was a relief because it wasn't a shark, which meant Michael would be all done at that point. Moments later, there was another mighty boil of white water, and Packard soared out of the ocean and flopped back down. Mayo sped the boat up next to Packard, who was floating in a puffed-out dry suit, thanks to the whale's speedy ascent to the surface, end quote. From Packard's perspective, when the whale came up behind him and accidentally trapped him in its mouth, he felt like he got hit by a truck, and then it went completely black. He told the Cape Cod Times, quote, I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles in his mouth, end quote. He thrashed around as much as he could, at one point losing his regulator and scrambling to get a hold of it again, while the whale was shaking around as well, trying to get Packard out of its mouth. Quoting Packard again, I saw light, and he started throwing his head side to side, and the next thing I knew, I was outside in the water. End quote. And while it felt like forever, as he grappled with the reality that this could be his end, Packard estimated after the fact he was probably only in there for 30 to 40 seconds. His partner Mayo and some other nearby fishers got Packard out of the water and immediately called emergency services. As he's been recovering, Packard has been met with an onslaught of media requests and a healthy dose of skepticism about his story. A doctor who works at the hospital Packard went to but did not treat Packard allegedly noted that if Packard had really been, quoting Insider, swallowed by the whale and hurled toward the surface, he would have had more injuries, such as hearing loss due to the rapid change in pressure. He reportedly ascended from a 45-foot depth in 20 to 40 seconds and didn't have any evidence of barotrauma, the emergency room doctor said, end quote. And that interview comes from the always reliable New York Post and once again includes the misconception that Packard was actually swallowed, which he wasn't. He was just held in the whale's mouth for half a minute. And the Washington Post points out that the pressure change had worried Packard and the crew. After pulling him out of the water, Mayo said, quoting the Post, Packard was calm and fully cognizant and told the men he thought his legs were broken. They also worried that Packard had an embolism because the whale drove him up to the surface so quickly. A no-no in diving, Mayo said, end quote. Fortunately, once they got Packard to a hospital, while the doctors did find substantial bruising and a dislocated knee, there were no broken bones or signs of an embolism. But can we trust the accounts of Packard and his mates? Locals say yes. He's known as an experienced angler, and the way he's recounted the story consistently and reliably has people convinced. Mayo adds, quote, If it was some yahoo, I think we'd be arguing if it actually happened. End quote. And not that he's not biased, but Packard's son Jacob noted in a Reddit AMA he coordinated on behalf of his father that his dad has been overwhelmed by the media attention because he's, quote, a simple dude. So it sounds like he at least wouldn't be making this up for the attention, although whether he'll be milkshake ducked before this story even goes to air remains to be seen. And while the whole situation is rare enough to raise eyebrows it could ever happen, the Washington Post does point out, quote, A similar incident occurred off the coast of Port Elizabeth, South Africa in 2019 when a bride's whale scooped up a marine conservationist documenting a mass migration. Experts who witnessed the event also said it was an accident, noting the whales are gentle giants, one said in a short documentary, end quote. And from the Times, quote, The whale, possibly a 32 to 35 foot juvenile that had previously been seen swimming in the area, was most likely diving for food when it inadvertently caught Mr. Packard in its enormous mouth. Humpback whales spend much of their time in that part of New England, searching for and engulfing small schooling fish, said Juka Robbins, director of the Humpback Whale Studies Program at the Center for Coastal Studies. 
They lunge fast, open their mouths, and use baleen plates to filter out the water before swallowing the fish, Dr. Robbins said in a statement. When the whale realized it had caught something that was not its typical prey, in this case an unsuspecting lobsterman, it responded the way a human who accidentally ingested a fly would, said Dr. Charles Mayo, Josiah's father and a senior scientist at the Center for Coastal Studies, end quote. In the Reddit AMA, Packard further clarified that the whale didn't exactly spit him out either. He just got knocked out by the force of the whale shaking its head and moving its tongue, and that he was worried his legs were broken because he could feel the whale clamping down on his legs. Yikes. And while this might be his most fantastical story as a lobster diver yet, Packard has seen his fair share of close calls while in this line of work, getting lost due to currents, having close encounters with great white sharks, but he's always made it out mostly unscathed. But this whole whale incident is not the first time Packard has had a near-death experience. In 2001, he was in a plane crash in Costa Rica where he used to work over winters. The crash killed three people, including both pilots. Packard was one of only five who survived spending two nights in the jungle before being rescued. Emergency services said they wouldn't have survived one more night. And if you think his life sounds like it could easily be made into an awesome movie, you're not alone. Redditors asked who he wanted to play him in a movie, and Packard said Matt Damon, although his wife disagrees and says it should be Sean Penn. Movie adaptation or not, Michael Packard's life is stranger than fiction. So unbelievable, it's pretty much just about believable. And in any case, Packard is definitely one lucky dude. At FanDuel Casino, we know the only thing better than a win is a free win. That's why we made Reward Machine, the daily free-to-play game that gives you a chance to win up to $2,000 in casino bonus. We've given away over $50 million in free bonuses, and we're just getting started. Every day at 6 p.m., you get three chances to spin the Reward Machine reels. There are three ways to win. One, match any three symbols for an instant win. Two, collect symbols each day for a chance to win weekly prizes. Or three, win up to $2,000 if you collect three trophies, FanDuel has given away over $50 million to hundreds of thousands of people through Reward Machine. So what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Casino app by going to FanDuel.com slash PA3 and start playing Reward Machine today. That's FanDuel.com slash PA3. No purchase necessary. 21 plus and present in PA. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable casino only site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Calories in, calories out. It's a decent metric purely towards tracking your activity and food consumption if you have a goal of losing, maintaining, or gaining weight, but it doesn't tell you much else about the nutritional value of what you're consuming. And that tendency to view calorie counting as the be-all, end-all of health is a battle that scientists have been fighting for over a hundred years. JSTOR Daily recently featured the research of historian Nick Kalather, who shed some light on the history of the calorie as a nutritional tool, including some of the weirder details of its reception. Here's a bit on its origin, quoting JSTOR Daily. Kalather writes that the penny press first introduced much of the U.S. public to the calorie in March 1896, when Wesleyan University professor Wilbur O. Atwater sealed a graduate student into an airtight chamber. Through an airlock, Atwater fed the prisoner of science precisely measured servings of Hamburg steak, milk, and mashed potatoes. 
He also monitored his exercise periods and mental exertion. The student was inside a calorimeter, a device previously used to measure the combustive energy of explosives and engines, writes Kalather. It recorded his food intake and labor output in terms of thermal energy. Atwater concluded that mathematical laws governed the ordinary act of eating, end quote. Well, being able to quantify how much food an individual needed was great news to government officials who leapt at the opportunity to calculate exactly how much food was needed for prisons, schools, armies, and workforces, something that really came in handy during wartime to calculate food shortages and plan international aid efforts, according to Clather. As you can imagine, advertisers also loved this concept. They beefed up the idea that calories were really what mattered and not anything else. JSTOR Daily points to a 1903 ad saying, quote, A glass of Schlitz beer represented 137 calories, just slightly less than milk, making it sufficient fuel to furnish abundant energy to the human machine. End quote. Now, while advertisers took this idea and ran with it, as many still do today, they didn't completely fabricate it. It was based on Atwater's original research. Quoting Kalather, Atwater's schedules ranked grain, meat, and dairy goods as important national resources, while fruits, leafy vegetables, and fish registered such slight nutritional value that they could scarcely be classified as food. End quote. Despite pushback from doctors and unions alike, workers were concerned that the calorie counts would be used to justify the lowest possible wages, the calorie craze really took over America, to the point that Europeans were making fun of us for it. But really, what else is new there? JSTOR Daily notes that the obsession with calories died down in the 20s as scientists got the upper hand in the media narrative and helped educate the public on the importance of vitamins and minerals. But of course, the simplicity and temptation of interchangeability of the calorie still dominates much of the diet and fitness world today. It could have been much worse, though. Quoting once more from JSTOR Daily, In 1920, progressive Michigan Governor Chase Osborne even proposed that international trade should use the calorie as a universal currency, casting it as a measure of real worth unlike the imaginary value of metals. End quote. Wow, just imagine if you had to pay for things with your MyFitnessPal app. Woof. So I've talked a number of times on this show about the emerging need for updating ethics guidelines in sectors like stem cell research as technology advances. The International Society for Stem Cell Research updated their guidelines on lab-grown embryos just last month, reflecting on the fast-moving field. Neuroscientists watching an equally rapid development in their field have set their sights even higher. Some of them would like a set of neuro-rights added to the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. Quoting Reuters, Five rights would guard the brain against abuse from new technologies, rights to identity, free will and mental privacy, along with the right of equal access to brain augmentation advances and protection from algorithmic bias, the group says. If you can record and change neurons, you can, in principle, read and write the minds of people, said Rafael Yusta, a neuroscience professor at New York's Columbia University and organizer of the Morningside Group of Scientists and Ethicists Proposing Such Standards during an online panel at the Web Summit, a global tech conference. This is not science fiction. We are doing this in lab animals successfully, he said. 
Neurotechnology has the potential to alter the mechanisms that make people human, so putting it in a human rights framework is appropriate, he added, end quote. And from Scientific American, quote, Though we're making great progress in the healthcare sector, we must recognize that innovative milestones will be translated across the board and enter into commercialized consumer markets for the purposes of video games and self-health monitoring. This will generate enormous amounts of valuable data, some accurate, some erroneous, which will be in the hands of the companies that own this technology, such as Neuralink and Kernel, which would benefit from this access in much the way Google has through its DeepMind program. This prospect raises concerning questions about the huge amounts of data that will be churned out by electroencephalograms or invasive devices and collected by the corporations behind them. Issues around safeguarding, accessibility, and corporate monopolies run parallel with the concerns some institutions have raised around tech giants and AI. Neurotechnology also brings to the fore the added layer of epigenetic consequences, neuropsychiatric complications, and biohacking, end quote. And despite all the risks, most do advocate for the technology to continue to grow because of its potential utility for people with various disabilities, medical conditions, and or injuries. And that's where so many technological innovations get their start, but as they advance, like Scientific American points out, they inevitably become more commercialized. John Krakauer, a professor of neurology and neuroscience at Johns Hopkins University, not the author, said, quote, Deep down, what people want is consumer technologies, end quote. And he warns these could, and probably will, be manipulated in much the same way social media and mass advertising have been, altering our preferences without our expressed consent. Quoting him again, What's changed now is that tech can get under the skull and at our neurons. End quote. So, yeah, the need for neuro-rights to be added to the Declaration of Human Rights definitely seems like a good idea to me, but there's a lot in that declaration that doesn't exactly get upheld, so we'll also need a lot more regulations and legislation. Chile is poised to set the bar with legislation currently on the table to establish neuro-rights for its citizens, which would be the first of its kind if passed. And Spain may include a provision for neuro rights in new rules for regulating AI that they'll be proposing this fall. As Dr. Eusta put it, quote, This is the first time in history that humans can have access to the contents of people's minds. We have to think very carefully about how we are going to bring this into society. End quote. So I want to share a post from Kotki.org today, in case you haven't checked it out yet, it's something called Bone Music. Quoting Jason on Kotki.org, During the Cold War, the Soviet Union controlled the music recording industry, and even restricted the types of music that were allowed to be played and listened to. Or they tried to, anyway. Enterprising Soviet bootleggers took used X-ray films, many of them still containing images of bones and skulls, and recorded forbidden music on them, including jazz and rock and roll from the West. They called it ribs, bones, bone music, or jazz on ribs. End quote. Jason's got some more details as well as photos of the most metal vinyl records I've ever seen. Uh, you can check those out on Kaki.org. I seriously want people to replicate this somehow, you know, maybe for like a record store day exclusive or something. It just looks super cool. But that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kaki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.
Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at ycampidaho.org.